Hi, I'm Andrew, and this is the Daily Keenon podcast about today's global crisis. The coronavirus pandemic is dramatically disrupting not only our own daily lives, but also society itself. This show features conversations with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers about the deeper economic, political, and technological consequences of the pandemic. It's the daily podcast trying to make long-term sense out of the chaos of today's global crisis. Hello, everybody. It is March the 2nd. It's a lovely early spring uh, lunchtime in Northern California. And unfortunately, history is repeating itself. The news doesn't seem to change these days. We have another uh, another sex scandal uh, this one um, associated with Andrew Cuomo, the governor of New York, apparently, who uh, asked uh, a stranger pretty much at a wedding, can, can I kiss you? Very, uh, very inappropriate. I'm not sure if that's the right word. That's a gentle word to describe his behavior. Um, big storm about this. Um, Big question is, is he going to survive? Does he have the political muscle? That's a very male concept, I guess. He is apparently determined to hold on to, to power. Surprise, surprise. Who brought this guy up? Um, here we have a, a picture of Andrew Cuomo and his mother, Matilda Cuomo, who apparently, I think she's still alive, is a feminist activist, of course, famously married to Mario Cuomo. And the Cuomo stuff, of course, raises the question, particularly given we've seen this image of um, Matilda Cuomo, of how to raise sons in our culture of turbulent sexuality and gender politics. And we're very lucky today to have uh, the author of uh, a brand new book. It's out today, To Raise a Boy by Emma Brown, Classrooms, Locker Rooms, Bedrooms, and the Hidden Struggles of American boyhood. Um, Emma. Hi. What are you to make of this Cuomo scandal? Anything new about it? Or is it the classic case of a badly brought up boy? Uh, you know, what I think of when I, when I read these stories is I think about who else was in the room uh, witnessing this kind of behavior. Um, and why didn't they speak up? Um, and that is something that I think we can do to teach our sons, um, not only to be the person who's not sexually harassing other people in the room, but we need to teach them um, how, to, how to see behavior like that and step up and do something about it. Um, and that is a incredibly tall order. It's a really hard thing that a lot of adults don't do, um, but it's a skill that we can can and should teach. Many of you will be familiar with uh, Emma's name. She was the Washington Post uh, reporter. Her day job is at the Washington Post, who broke the Christian Blasey Ford story about Kavanaugh uh, back uh, in September 2018. Um, Emma, was that the story that triggered this book or was it the birth of your son? Yeah, it really was the birth of my son. And then just six weeks later, the uh, first Harvey Weinstein stories broke. 
So there I was sitting at home on maternity leave, you know, literally nursing my son and scrolling through those stories. And then the flood of stories um, that came after that about men mistreating women. And I wondered, how am I going to raise my son to be different? And so that question, um, uh, you know, it wasn't until a, a year later that I wrote the story about Christine Blasey Ford that you just mentioned. And in the aftermath of that story, I just got a flood of emails from um, people, mostly uh, women, but also men who described being sexually assaulted in high school. And I felt like there were some questions to answer around how we can do a better job for boys starting much younger than um, you know than college, much younger even than high school, um, and in the course of my research, you know, I, I really felt like I learned a lot about not only what we can do better for boys so that they know how to have stronger relationships with girls and women, but also what, what we need to do better for boys for their own sake. Yeah, there's uh, and and don't take this in the wrong way. There's a lot of sex in your book, um, uh, Emma, in terms of inappropriate behavior by men on women and also by men on men. Um, one of your colleagues, Monica Hess, in the post this morning has uh, an op-ed suggesting that Cuomo falls back on the old, I was just be, being playful excuse. Where does all this come from? Is it rooted in upbringing or education or a mix or perhaps television and the internet. Why are men behaving so inappropriately in a sexual sense, both towards women and indeed towards other men? And there's not one easy answer for all the different kinds of inappropriate behavior that we have witnessed in the in public life over the last few years. Um, but I would say one thing that that I learned that was surprising to me about boys is that a lot of the sexual harassment that happens in schools, and there is a ton of sexual harassment um, that happens inside the, you know, when schools are in, when we're not in the middle of a pandemic, um, inside school walls that goes unaddressed. And a lot of that is about boys proving to one another what men they are, how manly they are. You know, one researcher put it to me this way, you know, if you grab, uh, if you grab a girl's breasts, it proves you aren't gay. Um, and so I think part of what we see is men kind of performing, men or boys performing for other men and boys. Um, and that is where we can, you know, if we, if we help boys think differently about what it means to be a man, if we kind of expand that definition, that could go a ways toward, um, toward, toward stemming that kind of sexual harassment. Yeah, that stuff has come out definitely in the Cuomo stuff. Uh, Andrew Cuomo, of course, has the famous CNN uh, personality Chris Cuomo as a brother. Apparently, he's not covering his brother's harassment scandal, but Chris Cuomo is famous for his suggestion that calling him, he was accused, I think, by Trump of being Frido from The Godfather, the rather weak uh, sibling in, in, in The Godfather series, that it's like the N-word for Italians. What is it about men and power, Emma? Why do they respond so aggressively to the idea of them being weak? Well, I think we teach boys from the time that they're young, um, and we teach them this in, through pop culture, through the way we parent, through uh, the books they read, television they watch, all of this. Boys learn they're not supposed to be weak. That is the antithesis of what it means to be a boy. And I think um, part of what we need to do to better support boys is to help them understand that they have access to like all parts of their humanity 
and that humans are sometimes uh, sometimes have moments of weakness. Humans but also have moments of weakness. I mean, from my reading of your excellent book, you're not suggesting boys are brought up to be weak. You're suggesting that the idea of strength is in itself a kind of weakness, isn't it? No, I don't think strength is a weakness. I mean, as I wrote in the book, I, I have taught my daughter when she was two years old and having trouble doing something scary on the playground to uh, to tell herself that she's strong and fearless. And I want my son to be strong and gentle. I want both of my children to be strong and gentle. I mean, strength is a wonderful thing. But I think the problem is if boys feel ashamed whenever they feel anything that's not strength or whenever they feel something that they identify with girliness, you know, quote unquote girliness. Um, but I think the problem is is making boys feel ashamed if they don't fit into this really narrow definition of what they're always supposed to be. One of the most shocking things I thought about the book, um, Emma, is the the first chapter or one of the early chapters about sexual appoint, uh, sexual assaults by boys on boys. It's already earned a lot of publicity. You had a, a piece uh, a month or two ago in the post on this. How um, how shocking is this? How much should parents of boys concern themselves with uh, male-on-male sexual violence? There's Yeah, there's male-on-male sexual violence, and there are some really horrific examples of that, really sort of graphic in the book about the kind of violence, the sexual violence that boys can do to one another. Um, and boys can also, as we know from Catholic Church scandal, be preyed upon by older men, and, and they can also be preyed upon by older women. So I think this is a hidden problem because boys feel so ashamed um, uh, that they don't often report. It's also a hidden problem because we as grownups don't really uh, think about boys in this way and, and in that way can sort of miss what's really happening with them. And yet, uh, you know, as many as one in six boys say that they've been sexually uh, assaulted by the time they reach 18. So this is a it's a it's a problem that parents should be concerned about. And parents should be having the exact same conversations with their sons that they're having with their daughters about their bodies. Like your body is your body. It's sacred and nobody should touch it without your permission. We shouldn't think that just because they're boys, they're safe from from that kind of um, that kind of violation. Yeah, I was uh, I was just reading Malcolm Gladwell's new book, Talking to Strangers. He he comes at this from a completely different angle from you, but you're very much on the same page in terms of this crisis. As I said earlier, Emma, you are also a reporter uh, on the Washington Post. You've done a lot of work about uh, the Trump presidency, particularly the events uh, on uh, January the sixth. Um, here are a couple of pieces you wrote. I just um, actually interviewed your colleague, Carol Lenig, about uh, her book about Trump. To what extent does Trump uh, and, and, and reflect in broad sense the crisis of masculinity in America? Is he the quintessential example of the male bully and, 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 and his niece, Mary Trump, seems to argue this, who's obsession with strength and violence has created a, a catastrophic human being and, a, and, a, and, a, and a, fl a profoundly flawed presidency? Well, I think we see in Trump and Biden just two very different versions of what it, of masculinity with Trump, um, you know, using the tools at his disposal, whether that's Twitter or the bully pulpit of the presidency, uh, or the bully pulpit of the former president to um, 
to want to always dominate and win and be and never show weakness. Whereas um, now President Biden has been willing to cry in public and has went perhaps his greatest strength as a, a political person, a political campaigner has been to, to connect with people uh, through his own, you know, through through his own grief um, regarding the, the tragic things that have happened in his life. So they they show just two really different ideas about what it means to be a man. And I think that's reflected, isn't it, in the voting demographics? A large proportion of women voted for Trump, whereas a, a smaller majority of men voted for uh, Trump. Uh, here we have one image from January 6th of very violent men. Not everyone, of course, uh, on January 6th was male, but most of them were. Was this the revenge, these events of January the 6th, the revenge of the angry American man? You know, I I have trouble uh, connecting this to too deeply to masculinity because there are women who were in that crowd and there were men who who believed that the election was stolen al alongside the men who who were in the Capitol. And so I think um, there's something sort of larger at work in what we saw in the Capitol, uh, the Capitol insurgency. Uh, there's been a lot of work done, uh, Emma, on um, on relative success in high schools between uh, boys and girls. Here's a Brookings report uh, that just came out um, about uh, uh, about um, it's a bit slow here, but about um, relative success of men and uh, boys and girls in high school. And the Brookings report suggests that. Girls are doing much better in high school. This is, to quote the Brookings report, the unreported gender gap in high school graduation rates. Girls seem to be much more successful increasingly in our post-industrial culture. Is that the core of the crisis of, of, of maleness in 21st century America? Is that the challenge of raising a boy in a world where boys' work is much less central to our culture and economy? Um, I do think that this is a, a, a huge challenge, academic success. And, and, you know, that Brookings report doesn't entirely surprise me because I saw that gap. I used to cover education here in D.C. and then, and then nationally, and I saw that gap. Um, and what I, I wrote in the book about research that shows that boys, you know, if, if, we, if we tell boys that they're not good at um, – at certain things, they believe us. Uh, just like if we tell girls they're not good at certain things, they believe us. So boys who go to a school in a classroom full of kids who don't think boys are very good at reading end up believing that they're not very good at reading and not doing very well in reading. So we have, I think, our stereotypes and assumptions about what boys can be good at, what is boys' work and girls' work, um, has a lot to do with that gender gap that we see. And we do well to, to uh, revise those, those stereotypes so that we can help boys see themselves as successful in 21st century working environments. Revision of stereotypes. It's certainly a theme that we hear more and more uh, in America today. Uh, uh, my headlines are a bit slow today, but um, we have a, a story that Dr. Seuss won't be publishing uh, some of its books about uh, Mulberry Street because of racist images. Could you imagine in the future, Emma, a situation where the culture cleans up 
perhaps it's books for children about little boys and little girls. There's a lot of discussion in your book about um, boys and girls playing with trucks and dolls. Is that the core of the problem? Do we need to clean up the culture? I mean, I think, as I said before, I think the problem is when we tell boys they can only be one way and they should be ashamed if they are any different. We shouldn't tell boys they can't like trucks. Like that wouldn't solve the problem at all because that's just shifting the shame in some other way. Um, it would be great if we could as parents, but also as sort of other institutions that help raise boys like schools and faith communities and sports teams. Um, it would be great if we could support boys by having just a more flexible idea about what they're allowed to be without being shamed or bullied or teased or beat up, you know, that's, um, yeah. So I don't know. I mean, cleaning up the culture as parents, we we and we can help boys see the messages that are being beamed at them. Just like I think a lot of parents work to try to help their daughters see the messages that are beamed at girls so that they can resist them and not sort of fall under their spell. You have a lovely term in the book, uh, Emma, which I really like. Uh, you call you, you, you the term is the, the walls of, of the man box. What, what does that mean? What is a man box? Yeah, that's a borrowed term that's been around in a long, uh, a long time in the world of sort of pro-feminist men. Um, and the man box is sort of a set of expectations and, and stereotypes that we have about boys. Uh, so we talked about toughness, for example, and strength and dominance, um, anger, you know, all these sort of things that we think about when we think about boys and men. And I wrote in the book that I think that the walls of the woman box or the girl box have become more, uh, they're, they're weaker these days. Like there's been a lot of work to try to make sure girls understand that they can be whoever they want um, and they can do whatever they want. And I, I think that we need to give boys that same attention and opportunity to be and do what they want. Emma, do you think it's any coincidence that this cr crisis of male identity, of underperforming in education, and all the other sort of almost existential crises that seem to surround the idea of maleness in our culture. That it's happening at a time where the very notion of gender is becoming increasingly fluid. Not only do we have, obviously, a very strong uh, tradition of feminist writing and thinking and activism, but now we have uh, a, a huge political issue around the very idea of gender itself, and of course, the, the politics of uh, and the technology of changing gender. How does this play in to the challenges and opportunities for bringing up a boy in the early 21st century? Yeah, I mean, there's some interesting things happening at once that make it kind of hard to tease out what to make of it all. I mean, as you say, there's sort of growing recognition of and acceptance of the fluidity of gender. Um, there's there's things like Target taking down its uh, its signage that says boys, you know, boys toys and girls toys, um, and more of an effort to make gender gender neutral dolls and such for kids. So there's there's signs of of um, a loosening of gender norms, but at the same time, there's this long running survey of high school seniors that shows that that um, they are starting they see gender in some ways more traditionally. Um, than, than, you know, my, my generation did. I graduated from high school in 1996, so some time ago now, where they've started to see sort of that men should make, be the decision makers in the household. They, they believe that more than, 
than kids did when I was in high school. Um, and so it's interesting that there's, that it perhaps speaks to our polarized society. Um, you know, we're polarized along so many lines and gender is one of them, that as part of our society is becoming more flexible about thinking about what gender is and how gender works and what gender norms are, um, another part of our society is perhaps becoming more traditional. Yeah, I, I couldn't help thinking of this issue of polarization when I was reading the book. It's, as I said, it's a wonderful book. It's passionate. It's extremely erudite. You spent a year researching it, talking to families, young men and young women. But the one thing that, and, and it's clearly driven by your own experience of having a, both a son and a daughter. But the one thing that concerns me is that you, as a, a Washington Post reporter, educated at Stanford University, University of California at Berkeley, you're part of the elite like me. And I'm sure one way or the other, you're going to do an outstanding job as a parent. Um, isn't the problem not in our quote unquote class, but in the working class, the underclass, if that's the right term, that won't get me into trouble, obviously uh, amongst African-Americans and, 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 and Latino communities. Uh, no, I completely, I completely disagree with the premise of your question. I, I, don't, I think that the problems that we're talking about, whether we're talking about sexual violence against boys or girls, the problem of, of um, sort of imprisoning boys in very narrow gender boxes, I think those exist in every part of our culture. In fact, I was just talking to a mother on Park Slope in Brooklyn, which is the elitist of the elite, you know, and the most liberal, one of the most liberal zip codes probably in America, who was telling me that these are um, really big problems in her community, along with lack of sex education and and so on. And so I think we are absolutely mistaken if we think that we, um, as quote unquote elites are somehow above or separate or, or have escaped the problems that I write about in this book. I mean, look, you started this program with, with Governor Cuomo. He's an elite and he, he is absolutely, uh, you know, showing, um, it, it appears from everything that's been reported so far, though there's an investigation yet to be done, right? But the kinds of things, the kinds of allegations we're seeing against him, the kinds of allegations we have seen against many men who are raised in, uh, in by elite people or, or upper class people or middle class people or whatever, this is not a problem that is confined to uh, to other people. It is in your community and it is in perhaps in your family. So I, I really, you can hear in my voice, I feel really strongly that it's a problem if we think that this is something that happens to other people or other people's sons. No, I think that's a great response. Um, in terms of raising a boy, though, it, are there different challenges in, in one-parent families versus, and again, I'm not going to bring the class issue in here, uh, but versus uh, solid two-parent families, especially one-parent families where the mother in particular is probably working maybe more than one job? You know, I think that... Um, Parents can do a great job. I say, I say this, you know, married to somebody who was raised by uh, a divorced mother um, who mostly raised him, you know, on her own. And he's a great dad and he's a great partner. So I know that uh, single parents can do an incredible job raising their kids. And I also know that um, parents who are married or in partnerships can have can really struggle. And, and in fact, parents... Um, 
that are in unhealthy relationships and abusive relationships, for example, they're showing, you know, boys who witness violence in their own homes, domestic violence in their own homes, grow up more likely to do violence to others um, than, than other children do. It puts them at risk. And so I think that's a hard uh, blanket statement to make. Uh, we've had a lot of shows also, Emma, about mental illness. Um, and one of the things that came out of your book uh, was that boys, I think, uh, get, uh, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, the boys are four times more likely to commit suicide than girls. Um, is there an issue when it comes to boys and mental illness and their unwillingness to face up to their condition? Yeah, I think, you know, there's some research that suggests that boys who who believe more strongly in traditional ideas about masculinity, about toughness and strength and so on, um, are less likely to ask for help for, for their mental health um, needs. And that, you know, that could be a reason why we see those really astronomical suicide rates among men. Um, it's also, I think, pretty amazing. This, this research by um, a, a scholar at New York University who studies friendship among boys and adolescents who found that boys are you know want these like deep and intimate relationships with friends just as much as girls do but when they reach uh, adolescence when they become sort of middle teenage middle teenagers um, they lose those friendships in many cases and can't get them back and and crave them um, and it's just at that point when she noticed that um, boys are starting to lose those intense and intimate friendships that the suicide rate really first spikes over and above uh, girls. And so I think that there's a, a real, me, for me as a parent, you know, I think it's really important for me and my husband to model kind of emotional intimacy with our son and with one another and with the friends that we have in our lives so that he gets to see um, what that looks like and what that feels like. Emma, finally, uh, you said that you began this project when your son was born. What did, what do you now know having written to raise a boy, about raising a boy that you didn't know when you began the book? Um, you know, I I probably, if you'd asked me when I had my, so I have this older girl and a, and a younger son, and I think I probably would have been more concerned about my, um, my daughter than my son before I started this project, more concerned about the messages that society sends her way about, about what it means to be a girl. And I think now I, I pretty much have equal concern, if not a little bit more for my son. Um, I also have, having talked to lots of boys, a lot of hope because there's a lot of boys who are who are sort of leading the way in, in creating a different way to be a boy, a different way to be a man. So I'm glad, I'm really, really grateful that my son is, is growing up now and not years ago when I think it was uh, a lot harder to be a boy. Yeah, as as the parent of a boy and a girl, I actually uh, I, I echo what you said. Your new book, To Raise uh, a Boy, is a must read for parents and anyone concerned with the state of boys or indeed children in America today. Uh, congratulations, uh, Emma, on the book. Um, you're in D.C. at the moment, like the rest of us, stuck inside in these weird times. What else should people be reading in addition to your book? Yeah, well, I'm so glad you asked. I got a couple books right here to point out. One is this book, Sexual Citizens by Jennifer Hirsch and Seamus wow. Khan. This is an awesome book. It's from, these are two professors at Columbia University who 
studied the problem of sexual violence on their campus. And they, um, they show us how this is not so much a problem of individuals doing wrong. It's, it's a systemic problem that we can solve. Um, you know, we're basically setting our kids up to, uh, to get into really uncomfortable, if not dangerous positions when it comes to intimate relationships so we can they show us how we can be better and then this book i have to say uh is on my to read list i have just started it it's called tomboy by lisa davis and it's about um it's also about gender it's about girls who who wave it wave it in the middle of the screen oh here you go we only see the boy we don't see the tom bit of it oh, lovely is that better yeah perfect yeah, yeah. well i will have to get both those authors on the show uh absolutely so, uh, Emma Brown, I really want to thank you. Congratulations on this marvelous new book, To Raise a Boy. We'll have you back on the show to see how your son is progressing and indeed how men in America are progressing uh, in the next few years. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. You've been listening to Keynote, hosted by me, Andrew Key. Make sure to join us the rest of this season as we explore how to fix capitalism. Make sure to visit us at lithub.com where you can subscribe to the show in iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. While you're at it, if you enjoyed what you heard, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would also help too. Today's episode was produced and edited by Justin Alvarez and the team at LitHub Radio. See you next week, and thanks so much for listening.